Damn it. Damn it. Now you're probably noticing there's a little bit more lighting here than I usually do for these lamentations. That's because I just wanted to make a point. Remember, I don't decide lamentations until I get there. So I didn't. Sh I wasn't sure, and I already kind of set up a few things here, including my outfit. I'm actually back in my old TNG uniform. But, uh, well, this is a lamentation, so here we are. You know, I wonder how many people are going to disagree with me of those right out of the gate. I really am. No one liked this episode. <laughs> Bacula, Manny Cotto, Connor Trenier, Jolene Blaylock, Jonathan Frakes, Brandon Braga. Nobody liked this episode. Alan Croker directed it. It's actually his final inclusion into Trek. Uh, he would, he, if you've been paying attention, he's directed two other finales. He directed What You Leave Behind over in Deep Space Nine and Endgame over in Voyager. So he's got a little bit of experience at least. And of course, this, the Valentine to the fans. He, this was written by Berman and Braga. And it shows. It shows in their inexperience. It shows in how it's a season one or two episode rather than a season four or even three episode. But most importantly of all, it's interesting to think about their contributions here. Braga, Brandon Braga, didn't do much with track after this. I mean, he goes to conventions. Actually, to my knowledge, he as recently as like last year, or excuse me, two years ago at this point, uh, he still hits the convention circuit periodically. He has been unapologetic and very open and honest about his mistakes in the past, and it's one of the reasons I've defended the man. Not just the fact that he's done some good stuff, but that he has openly admitted to the bad stuff. He has been uh, pretty forthright about this many times. He hates this episode, too, but more to the point, he hates what had become of him in that era. He's actually gone out of his way to publicly apologize to people that he didn't need to. Now, I bring that up because, obviously, I don't know the man, and I never will, but I think that shows a little bit of the character. That, well, he is not a perfect person, he's not a particularly excellent writer, and he's not exactly someone who, you know, is a great person. He's willing to try and do better. And I do think that matters. I've said this many times. Interestingly enough, this is not Braga's final inclusion into Trek, even ignoring the convention circuits. Well, he's had nothing to do with new Trek. He was brought back in 2012 to work on an IDW series of comics for Star Trek uh, entitled The Hive Series. Some of you may be aware of that. And I've talked about IDW several times since a lot of their comics kind of drift in and out of several of the franchises I've covered over the years. And he's a producer and director on the Orville. Whether that counts or not, I'll let you decide. But I find that fascinating. Rick Berman, this is his final contribution to track. He has not done Jack since then, unless you count convention stuff or interviews and behind the scenes or any of that, which I don't. This is the end of Rick Berman's inclusion into Trek. Thank God. While I have and will always defend the fact that he was our slimy, skeezy scumbag who helped to get TNG rolling in, a, in an environment where every producer was constantly cutthroating every other producer, this man has probably the most singularly responsible for a lot of crap across close to 15 years of Star Trek. Never mind the other things that I uncovered when I was going through DS9, which I honestly don't even want to mention again because bleh. 
So, I uh, brought an old friend here for one last, last send-off. All right. <clears throat> this is also a not a full-length episode. That makes sense. This wasn't intended to be the series finale. Remember, these episodes were already kind of s- sketched out and ready to go before, you know, the, the plug was pulled, before they knew that season four was the last season. And I'm going to keep mentioning that because it's important to keep in mind. This was nevertheless intended to be the season finale. And for that reason, m- more than many others, is why we have the red lighting right now. The fact that this is the series finale sucks. But I didn't hold that against Turnabout Intruder. I didn't hold that against the counterclock incident. Because that's not really their fault. It wasn't deliberate. It was something that was enforced upon them, right? However, unlike both of those episodes... Well, I mean, both those episodes have their other problems. Turnabout Intruder can go to hell for unrelated reasons. But this episode also has something, a mark against it. And that is that it was intended to be the season finale. Which already is just kind of a what? Yeah, we're going to do a flash forward of six years into the future and kind of restructure and redo some things and show where they've gone in a way that shows that, once again, it feels like it's a season one episode with nobody having changed positions or perspectives since then, while at the same time not really acting like friends or comrades with each other. And we're also going to ensure that several other dumb things happen. And, And by the way, this is also a crap episode on top of all that. Sure. Contrast Terra Prime, which I am one of those people who considers that to be the actual series finale, which was a big thematic approach about the very concept of connections between people, moving beyond our internal biases, the complexities of how we perceive information, and, of course, the very personal story of of Tucker and uh, T'Pol's child and the fate thereof, and the very concept that that connects to the idea of us being unified despite our differences. That is a series finale. I don't know what the hell this is. So, we, uh, gosh, let's see, where to start? They're going to mothball the Enterprise after ten years. What is with Starfleet pulling this crap? I've really, they, they just, they're mothball heavy. You ever notice that about Star Trek? This is not exactly the first or second or third time a ship is like, yeah, we're going to put it into mothballs. Why? And then we have the cold open. Okay, for those of you who haven't seen this episode recently, I know some of you watch it with me, so forgive me. But for those of you who haven't seen this recently, i got to run you through this, okay? (laughs) So we have the thing, and they're doing the speech, and it's, you know, there's little touches that it's been a while, and, you know, know, the the hair, the wig that T'Pol's wearing is different, and there's a couple of little changes. And then it cuts to computer, freeze program, and it's Arch, it's Archer, sorry, it's Riker, the different er. And Riker's there, says, save, go to index, shut down holodeck, and he goes and walks off the holodeck, cut to credits. And I'm just sitting here going, oh, I forgot about that. A little bit of historical context. This was uh, May of 2005. I was on the outside of a wheelchair at this point. What I mean by that is I was just getting used to walking again with uh, with the crutches and the brace after being in the wheelchair, after being run over by a car. This is just, I, I, I'm not trying for sympathy. I'm just giving you a bit of perspective here. I wasn't exactly following Enterprise very religiously for that reason, okay? As I've talked about before, I didn't give Enterprise another chance until it was already hitting the DVD circuit, right? 
or VHS circuit. I think I'm pretty sure it was a DVD circuit because I remember the place where I bought those DVDs. It's a vintage stock if you're aware of that. Anyways, I had several friends who were. And I remember the day this episode came out because I got multiple messages from multiple people. Some in WoW, because I was playing WoW at the time. Some just in a AIM. Anybody remember AIM? And people were just like, I knew it! And I'm like, what, what? I knew it! It was always a holodeck! The whole show was a holodeck! What? And then they described the whole situation to me, and I'm like, oh, that's so appropriate. Because remember, at that point, all I had was the first several episodes of season one, which were so crap that I put the whole show down and never went back to it. So I'm just like, yeah, no, that per that perfect. I guess they decided to tie it up. Now, obviously, this is not true. But it's funny to me how multiple people came to me with that. I'm curious if anyone else had at least a similar gut emotional reaction to that. One of the things that was said a lot about people who were circling Trek fandom while Enterprise was going live was the fact that the best way to conclude Enterprise would be to conclude with the words computer and program. Uh, anyways, <clears throat> so, final episode, here we go. <laughs> I just... For I, I should mention something. So I actually own the Blu-rays to all this stuff, and I've been pulling them out periodically because they have like behind-the-scenes footage and information and interviews and stuff like that, which has been helpful for these. It's probably one of my only actual sources of behind-the-scenes information for this frickin' show is those Blu-rays. Uh, that and like the occasional interview from people who are uh, who've recorded those interviews at conventions and stuff like that. And that's kind of actually it is those two sources, right? But when I actually sit to watch them, for the sake of convenience, I just pull them up on Amazon because I've got Prime and therefore I've got it all for free, right? Or, you know, for free. So I can just watch it that way. It's very convenient. For those of you not aware, there's a reason I'm bringing this all up, I swear. Um, Amazon, similar to Netflix, has like a skip intro button where you just skip, you know, it skips over the credits sequence. And I've been hitting that button uh, throughout season three. In Somewhere in season four, I forget where, that button stopped working. Oh, it was still there, but it would skip to like a third of the way through the intro credit sequence. So I would just kind of manually skip to the end. It was completely absent for this episode, so I couldn't hit it at all. And I was like, all right, fine. This is the final time I'm covering Trek for the foreseeable future. I'll listen to the theme song one last time. I still hate it. <laughs> but I loved the fact that they did actually, whatever. Someone didn't code something somewhere properly. Final episode. Final episode. Okay. They're going to found the Coalition of Planets. By the way, this is an important note. This is not actually the Federation. It's it's only mildly important, but it is a distinction that is relevant. This is the Coalition. This, this will eventually burgeon into the Federation, but we're not actually there yet. So I just wanted to mention that. Anyways, is it going to be against the Romulans? Yeah. No, no. This episode's going to be about fighting some random pirates. Right. Um... I'm all for more Shran, really. In fact, he was actually supposed to be in the last episode, but they decided to swap him over here because they couldn't afford to bring him into both episodes because extremely limited budget. So thanks for that one. Anyways, so I'm I'm more for more Shran, really. I am, and he's he's actually pretty cool in this episode, and he's one of I think a total of four good things about this episode. I was writing them down as we went. Three, three good things about this episode. Shran's one of them. But, uh, again, it's, I, I, I'm not going to really hold that against the episode as much as I want to, because 
it wasn't planned for the series finale. You already know what I'm about to say. I am absolutely going to hold this against the episode because this was intended to be the season finale. Some random jump forward to do some stupid thing with Tucker, which I'll talk about later, and to have some random pirate fight against some random dudes. Well, in the background, there's the Coalition of Planets thing. And oh, and also, this is actually set during TNG, hence the uniform, during the Pegasus. What? There's there's a... Uh, I, mm, okay. This also introduces a concept which I cannot believe hasn't been named before. It's called observer, excuse me, objective mode over in the holodeck. It makes perfect sense. I've talked before about the idea of perception filters and how, you know, they, even if you're walking in looking like this, they will assume you're in period appropriate outfits and whatnot. And they will presume you are a member of the thing. But objective mode is a nice additional uh, addendum of that. And we just played, um, I guess Overwatch is actually probably one of the best examples. Uh, there's an observer mode, like a caster mode, right? Uh, StarCraft II has this as well. Um, like, freaking EU4 has this. A bunch of video games have this. The whole point is that you are not part of the program. You're not there, as far as the program is concerned. You have total visibility to look and see everything. It's, it's kind of done in the competitive sports to someone, not only to cast it and show off what's happening, but also to kind of referee it to make sure everything's going according to plan, right? Some, I've actually used this in the past to help both myself to learn how to, to do strategy and tactics in games and to help others many years further down the road. It's a good idea. It's a good mode. And so it makes perfect sense that the holodeck would have this mode. Once again, I'm a little surprised this is the first real inclusion of it, unless there's an inclusion I'm forgetting somewhere. So please feel free to correct me. Just wanted to comment on that because you know, decency. I, I got to struggle for the decency in this one. Meanwhile, T'Pol is anti-Andorian. What? This woman was very pro-Alliance back during the Alliance arc, including United, one of my favorite Enterprise episodes. And um, she has been helpful to Shran particularly, and the Andorians in general, for some time now. This episode is set six years after all that. Now, if this was set in season one, all of a sudden that makes more sense. And I'm just going to mention this one incident because there's many signs of the fact that this is actually a season one episode. This is just one of them. I can also mention the very next thing that happens in the same scene. Archer getting preachy at T'Pol and you know telling her to kiss his ass, reference intended. Then we see Frakes, Jonathan Frakes, playing chef. Even in the track rewrite, I'm, I'm thinking if, if we were going to do that, like if we had holodeck ability and could recreate actors' likeness, I would probably cast Jonathan Frakes as chef. Mostly as a development gag, but still. Anywho, why is T'Pol so against helping Shran here? We need to go sign this document. Okay. He, his child has been kidnapped. <sighs> this then leads to... I suppose this is a good time as any to bring up. At this point in time, I had counted roughly 12 instances of a reiteration of a point that apparently... You remember how I mentioned how you know, Terra Prime and demons trusted you and, and treated you like you had a brain? Uh, this episode does the exact opposite of that by assuming that you can't understand that, given the fact that this is set during the Pegasus, this episode is all about following orders and the nature of how we do that. Now, that's a good topic, and it's something that could actually be, a lot could be done with. But in this episode, they hammer this point in over and 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 over. I think I miscounted there at least once, but that's just at this point. I'm not even 20 minutes into the episode right now. 
And they're constantly hammering this point in. Ah, following orders, following orders, following orders. Because it's all about Riker's dilemma. Okay. Sorry, 10 minutes. We're at the 10-minute mark. I wrote it down. This is doubly funny because then Riker is talking with T'Pol and she tells him what he needs to know to know how to deal with the Pegasus situation. But we're only at the 10-minute mark, so obviously that's not the end of that. Sure. We then have several minutes of Troy and Riker exploring the NX-01. This is, I would say, the second good part of the episode right here. It's just kind of neat. The two do still, even after all these years, act well off of each other. Both Marina Sirtis and Jonathan Frakes have a decent enough chemistry to make this work. And the two just kind of, you know, having fun exploring the ship is kind of neat. So I'll give you that one episode. This then leads to a semi-decent scene between Tucker and Reed as they talk about the fate of the Enterprise. It's worth noting that the very concept of USS doesn't exist yet and won't for a little bit of time. This, we're still in the NX period. This is the NX-01 Enterprise. So the USS Enterprise will be a thing in the future. And they kind of reference that and they kind of mention how it'll be different. It's a nice little moment, which Troy then immediately ruins by commenting how Tucker is going to die. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. Moving on. This then leads to Archer not understanding what narratives are, or more accurately, whoever wrote this scene, because he mentions we're going back to Rigel 10, the same planet from, you know, episode one. That's cool. It's poetic justice. No, it's not. That's either symmetry, which is the more generic term, or in more narrative terms, it is a bookend. Now, bookends, writers have a really lovely fascination with bookending. It is extremely common. It's usually considered to be good, but... I tend to think of bookending in general, symmetry and narrative in general, to be the kind of thing that isn't actually good. It is merely a tool. You know, just it's it's a, it's another tool, like this pen, that you can use to good or bad effect. This is not using it to good effect. This is just going back to the same planet for reasons that barely have anything to do with anything. The closest thing to actual symmetry here is the fact that they were on some random mission that barely mattered, and now they're on some random mission that barely matters. Except this one matters more because Shran is awesome and we need to get that poor girl out of there. Thankfully we do rescue her, but... <sighs> Anyways, I hate to reiterate this. Why are we fighting random brigands here? This is our big... You always need the action sequence, right? In the finales. Picture this for a moment. Picture... Let, let's ignore TOS and TAS for just a second. Let's look at... Voyager. Endgame. Now, I didn't like Endgame, but there were some good moments there, and the crew helped to carry it, and they were fighting against the freaking Borg. Let's look at what you leave behind in the final devastating battle of Cardassia, the temporary victory over the Dominion, and the annihilation of the stupid stupids. I mean, the Paw Wraiths, excuse me. Then let's look at TNG. And this one's important. This is going to be relevant in just a minute. In TNG, we had Picard fighting for the right for all... Um, I guess, organic life uh, to exist in probably everywhere based on everything we saw, as I discussed during the uh, All Good Things rumination. So contrast that to random pirate guys we've never heard of before from a story arc we've never heard of before from a character we haven't seen in a while. <sighs> this is so many levels of removed from interesting. At the 20-minute mark, I was so bored, I was sincerely tempted to bring up my Switch and start playing Mega Man. And that is never a good sign, in my opinion. It's only hap it, and That happens really rarely to me. 
usually I can focus enough. I've got enough information. I've got enough processing. I've got enough things to analyze with analysis mode on that I am engaged enough without doing despite watching or while, while watching despite not doing. If I feel the need to break out Mega Man, something's wrong. And it, it, again, it hasn't happened often. So then they decide to take get the drop on these people, by which I mean they do the stupidest possible thing and give away the fact that they're about to get the drop on them uh, several seconds before they actually say, hey, stop moving or we'll fire on you, and then they start firing on them. One quick alpha strike with stun, because you have stuns, would have solved this in seconds. But no. I should also point out that I I would argue very strongly that these people should be killed. They are child kidnappers who threaten to kill her. They need to die. This is ignoring the fact that them being let go and free is extremely stupid since they're just going to cause future troubles further down the line. Especially since they already found you once. This is a loose thread that needs to be tied off. Why aren't you killing these people? I hate to be in favor of killing, but come on. You're the one who set up the scenario. But no, they let them go. Naturally, it's okay. They only have a ship that can go warp two. So we'll get away at warp four. You know, I wouldn't make so much fun of that, since I actually don't like to nitpick all that much. But when you specifically call that out in the episode, it'd be, you know. Meanwhile, Data calls down to Troy. <sighs> this scene is everything wrong with this episode in, in like 10 seconds. It really is. Remember, this is set during the Pegasus, which is well into TNG's run. Data, during this scene, comes across as awkwardly annoying. Troy is visibly upset at having to talk to him. And, while we're on the subject, Data doesn't understand a simple turn of phrase. No. Just no. You know what this is? And I'm going to drop all facetiousness. I'm going to drop all presentation for a moment and just get down to brass tacks. This is not understanding your source material. That is what this is. That is not data. And frankly, that is not Troy. This is ignoring the fact that this immediately leads to a scene, which is actually pretty decent, if we're being honest with ourselves here, where uh, Riker and Troy debate the nature of this and what's going on while they're in the asteroid field doing the search. So Riker's been doing these holodeck trips for some time now. And now they're actually in this dangerous situation with the Romulan Dederdex Warbird right over there. And he's just hitting the holodeck to figure out what to do about things, even though he gets the answer from Troy, once again invalidating the episode. Back to the holodeck. Some nice editing trickery. We hear about Tucker. That's cool. And then the pirates catch up. This is important. The pirates somehow catch up to them. Now... I'm actually willing to let go of the Warp 2 thing. Why? Shran might not have known. They might have a Warp 4 capable ship. Although if they only have Warp 4, then they can't catch up. So they have to have something that can go faster than Warp 4. But as we've discussed, because of the scale of the Warp scale, they only have to go like Warp 4.5 or Warp 5 to be able to significantly catch up. So they have a pretty fast ship. I'm actually willing to let that go. What I'm not willing to let go is that they catch up to the Enterprise. No one detects them on sensors. No one detects them docking with the Enterprise itself. No one detects them actually invading the Enterprise corridors. No one is in those corridors. No Makos to be seen. No reaction. No nothing. Bull. Crap. Now, why is this so important? Because this leads to Tucker's death. Let's talk about a couple things. You okay with that? 
this is, uh, I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to, but this is basically the last Trek I'm going to cover. I mean, new Trek might be a thing. It's actually something that's not even penciled in at this point in time, as, as of me recording this. So I may someday cover new Trek. I don't know. That is, as ever, more up to you all than it is to me. But this is... I've, I've covered all of classic Trek, all the movies, and all of Trek up to this point. And what's one of the things I just keep banging on about? Well, when you have a bunch of tools uh, for your cast and crew, one of the things that can be kind of difficult to do is making it as in such a way so that the there's actually some kind of challenge or threat. Otherwise, the more tools you give them, and the further forward you go in the timeline, the more this becomes a problem the more you start to run into the issue of, well, I've got all this, so why is this episode even happening? This is something I've talked about extensively. Uh, it's, it's something that I've talked about all the way back when I first started this very series with Voyager, nine years ago from my perspective, close to 11. Actually, no, it's been, it's been 10 years now, sorry. 10 years ago from my perspective, closer to 12 years ago from yours. When you have all of this in your arsenal, it is legitimately difficult and a creative challenge to challenge your, your cast, to make it so that they don't just win because they've got this and they've got this and they've got this. This has defined Trek in many ways, in my opinion. While there's other things that are core and centric Trek, the idea of being able to properly challenge the crew, that's the good stuff and the bad. Some of the worst episodes are from when the writers just didn't know how to do it and made up bullcrap. And some of the best episodes are when they really thought about it and said, you know what, why don't we use this? And we have legitimate, excellent challenges for the crew to overcome. Feel free to disagree, of course. This is just my opinion. But as a, as a creative type, I don't know what else to call that. I can't call myself a writer, can I? As a creative type, this is something that I appreciate and I find to be fascinating to discuss. With all the tools at their disposal, this is not how you do it. This is stupid. This is the bad guys just show up and win without any discussion, without any earning it, without any, dis without any thought. This comes up in video games a lot, too. There's no design here. They needed there to be a scene where the pirates show up so they could have Tucker sacrifice himself. So they didn't think about anything in between. And once again, this is something I've talked about all the way back in Voyager. They're over here at point A. They need to be over here at point B. And because plot connects the two. Lazy, stupid, bad writing. Forgive me for my ire. I expect better of my fiction in general. I can let go of a few things... But remember the circumstances that led up to this, completely unearned. Keep in mind that this was supposed to be a season finale, which also just makes this even stranger. And then we finally talk about how pointless and stupid this whole thing is as it leads to Tucker's death. Now, here's the thing. Let's talk about another thing. Let's talk about character death. That's something you always have to do very carefully and precisely with your fiction. And there are many ways to do it. I've actually discussed this a lot on my show. Uh, mostly with regards to the video game stuff. But this comes up in track. This comes up in movies. Um, the idea of how to kill someone and have it work. There's no one way to do it, right? One of the most common things you can do is you can have the epic death. The grand sacrifice. Now, 
I'm going to come back to that one. One thing you could do is the sudden death, the and they're dead. This is something that can work very well, especially if its entire point is to try and emphasize the danger or the nature of the circumstances, or maybe to try and keep the audience on their toes, thinking who else can die. You'll notice that both of these tend to have symmetry with each other. Usually the epic death happens as a conclusion of an arc, whereas the sudden death tends to happen towards the beginning of an arc. Thus, it's like, oh my god, they died. Who else could die? And, oh my god, they died. That was such a big build-up to that moment. Now, there are, of course, other ways to do this, but you see this immediate contrast between these two broad categories of death. Now, there are, of course, other ways to do character death, but I wanted to talk about both of those because what's really funny about this is this is trying to be both and failing at both. This is trying to be the big, grand sacrifice that Tucker makes for his people. I probably shouldn't have to explain why this fails, but just to make this clear, season finale, random bad guys, um, utterly unearned specific, because details matter, unearned specific lead up and framing. So it's the exact uh, framing of the circumstances aren't earned. So it's not epic, in other words. And it has no, there's effectively no reaction to death. We get one scene between T'Pol and Archer, and that is it. In fact, that is immediately followed by a scene that happens a couple of days later, excuse me, three days later, where everyone's just blasé as if Tucker never died, to really emphasize how much it doesn't matter. And this is all effectively for nothing, because all of this is actually part of Riker's story, to make a decision that he's already made, and even if we ignore the Pegasus itself just within the confines of this episode, twice now he's already received the information he needed to do what he needed to do. It's worth noting, by the way, that Tucker's death is undone in multiple things, including the Enterprise relaunch. In fact, this entire episode is just kind of out of existence during the Enterprise relaunch. Funny fact. But I'm not even done talking about this, because that's how they feel at the epic thing. Let's talk about the sudden death thing. First of all, the impact of a sudden death, there's multiple different ways that can work. Obviously, this doesn't work in a who-else-can-die kind of a matter, because it happens towards the end and is trying to be a big sacrifice. That also means that it's telegraphed well in advance. They also flat-out told us it would happen with Troy, so it's suddenly not sudden. And it, again, doesn't have any impact, which is one of the main benefits of a sudden death. You know, the fact that people are horrifically scarred by it is, an, is a good example. You'll notice I'm not giving examples from other fiction. That's because most deaths, both sudden and epic, are massive spoilers. So I'm not going to mention any examples. I bet you could think of a few examples of both right off the top of your head, if you really thought about it. Because there are several, and it is, a, it is possible to do it right either way, or in other ways as well. But no... Instead, it means nothing on literally every level. I want you to further keep in mind that if Season 5 had been greenlit, this would still happen. There's been some talk about maybe they would restructure the death, but otherwise this was still intended to be canon. Riker then kind of moves around in the brain dance a little bit to go back in order to talk with Tucker before we get to the non-major members of the crew who are up in the nosebleeds, because of course they are. It's not like they matter for the narrative. And then, well, looks like all those people who disliked Enterprise got their wish because the last spoken lines that aren't narration for all of Enterprise are computer and program. 
Wow. I'm not quite done complaining. Sorry. But I wanted to comment on that really quick. I've known many people who wanted to just write out Enterprise entirely. I am not one of those people. I enjoy Enterprise. I do. I even liked Season 1 and 2 more than I thought it would, and I liked Season 3 less than I thought it would, and I liked Season 4 more than I thought it would with this particular run-through with analysis mode on. I will rewatch Enterprise in the future, at least I hope I will, assuming I have time. And, you know, I, I'm probably going to make a bit of a, you know, a watch list, the VHS list, uh, versus, you know, the, the skip list, which is going to be rather large. But this is, this is going to be interesting going forwards. But I mention all this because uh, this is something I have seen several of my Trek friends go through the exact same mental process. We started out wanting all of Enterprise to be gone, and then it changed to just wanting that last episode gone. Funnily enough, several of those works that I mentioned, including the Enterprise relaunch and a few other things, all had the same general idea. Because of the fact that this is a holodeck program, this is treated as non-canon. That there are specific details, and this makes sense, actually, if you think about it. There are specific details that, frankly, the holodeck program can't have known were happening. They didn't have records that detailed. Um, so they couldn't have known all of the specifics of dialogue and character and moment-to-moment -moment e e events. So this is an interpretation at the very beginning of things. Then we add into the fact that Riker is actively interacting with, let's call it what it is, the video game of this program. Now that's fine, but that means by your interaction you are changing things. That's part of the interactive side of things. So Riker, who I remind you was present at the firefight where Tucker was, you know, in danger and, and fake out died, by that mere inclusion changed things. Never mind the fact that Riker talking with T'Pol, leading to T'Pol trying to reconnect with Tucker, was also something that happened because of those changes. These two points are sufficient in, the, in and of themselves to justify stating that this is officially not canon. Whether it is or not is, to my knowledge, something that hasn't been codified since. Something that's just kind of left over there in, in vague land. Uh, if any of the new shows have actually acknowledged or addressed this point, I am unaware of it. <sighs> Hang on, I had a couple other notes here before I really wrap this up. Um, oh yeah. This episode also, so, okay, you remember back in, in Amir Darkly, where they put significant time and effort to rewatch, uh, Tholian Webb in order to make sure that things matched as neatly and consequently as possible, and they only screwed up on two very minor things that I didn't even mention then because they were so minor? This is like the exact opposite of that. They screw up so much with the Pegasus. Seriously, if you ever want to have fun with this sometime, if you just have a night and you're, you've got your Trek friends and you're just bored and you got a couple of beers or whatever, just watch Pegasus and then this side by side. They, they get everything wrong. Even the very core, central, emotional point of the message, the follow orders theme that is going throughout the whole thing, is terribly mishandled because what happens is Riker's like, yes, I am ready. I am ready and prepared to do what I must do. And then he doesn't. Because remember, it's not until he's pushed into a corner on Pegasus until he finally admits this. So, no. <laughs> this is ignoring the, the, the Romulan War, which is just glossed over entirely. The fact that there's no crew changes or, or promotions or anything in six years. The fact that there's no mo Makos on the ship. There's just things that aren't there that should be there. <sighs> Smarter people than I who are more dedicated to this than I have actually come up with lists of everything wrong with this episode. And it's large. That is to say, they are large. 
How many of you remember when Enterprise was canceled? I, I do. Obviously, I was not quite part of Enterprise, but I remember it. I remember it. You know why I remember it? Because I remember that 12 years in between These Are the Voyages and whatever start. I think it's the Vulcan Hello, the beginning of Discovery. We had a couple movies in between there. The Abramsverse, the Kelvinverse, actually, excuse me. But we, that's, um, it is different. And it's kind of it. Is it no wonder that so many of us clung to things like the comics or Star Trek Online in order to have our Star Trek fix? Because 12 years, uh, that's, I want you to really process how long a period of time that is. I want you to think about what you were doing in your life 12 years ago. There are many of us, and I speak both personally and with many Star Trek fans I talk to, especially at conventions and whatnot, that legitimately believed Star Trek was actually dead. Not dead to us. Dead. Not coming back. That the property had been fully abandoned, other than a few tiny little side tie-ins, and that was it. That we weren't going to get Trek television ever again. It was an unusual feeling. It's one of the reasons I was spurred to go ahead and work on my Trek uh, treatise. You know, I, I I talked about this way back in the Voyager stuff. Uh, me and a friend of my actual friend of mine actually put together an idea for a Trek show and actually submitted it. I doubt they ever read it, <laughs> but we weren't exactly alone in that. That's the reason I bring that up. Many people were trying to get Trek back on the air and Trek back into television, and well, then we got Discovery. Haven't seen it still, but I'm just saying. It was a long drought. It was a weird feeling going through that. And to know that this was the end, that this was the finale, God, that was just a unpleasantness. But now I'm getting all choked up, just, just a little bit. You know why? Because while I still have to do the finale videos for TOS, TAS, and ENT, which I'm actually going to do closer to a year and a half from where I am right now, because... I want you all to be involved in, the, in that. You know, it's, it's always a thing I do with the viewers, right? I mean, I get, get some polls, get some information. I already have some ideas on how I'm going to do it. Don't worry. And I've already done some prep work for it. But in about a year and a half, I'm going to get that done so those episodes can go live next week. But from my perspective, this is kind of it. This is the conclusion of me covering track. And that's a weird feeling. Um, when I started covering Voyager 10 years ago now, like I said, it's a long time, right? It was... It made so much sense to me to do that. I, I don't even know how to explain it. It Just going through episode by episode and really fine-tooth combing them and discussing uh, television and the creation of it, you know, the visual medium as a thing, the very nature of production and how you know, makeup works and how writing works and how script design works and just going into the nature of television, all that stuff that I myself had studied... And in fact, had started working on a career for and then abandoned and then eventually ended up using here with this. Um, it made so much sense to do that. And while it's been a hell of a road, both bumpy and awkward, I have loved every minute of it. I have shared a lot of myself over these 10 years. Oh, God, I am starting to lose it. Because this is it, right? Like, this is the finale. This is the end of track. For me, yeah, I, I don't mean it that way. I don't mean like new Trek doesn't count. I mean, this is, I have done it. I have covered all of Trek that I'm aware of and that I've seen at this point. This has been a hell of a project and a full third of my life. Actually, probably closer to a fourth. I'm older than I, I photographed. A fourth of my life has been devoted towards this. 
and I don't, I don't regret that. I hope I've done at least, God, I really am losing. I hope, I've, I hope I've done at least a decent job of it over these long, long years. I hope you have enjoyed. I always say that, but I always mean it. And I meant what I said last week too. Live long, live long and prosper. <laughs>